0: So, uh, whose, whose show is this going to be? Yours. Ah, all right. You can always send it to me and I can edit it. for well, one of the, one of the, one these, out. one of these days I'm determined I'm going to get on your show.
1: <laughs> well, you can do that if you want. Send it to me and I'll edit it and whack it out as one of ours. Oh, no. Hey, you know what it could be? What's that? When we finally come on your feed, it could be an all new episode that has never heard before.
0: <laughs> yeah, but how you know, long is that going to be? Kind of sweeten the pot. How long is that going to be from now? We, we'd put
1: this one up first before we put the first old episode up.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. As a as a tease to folks, yeah,
1: yeah. We we put this one up first as a as a special welcome present. You get an all new episode that never aired before.
0: The only the only thing the only. Uh, um, what is the word I'm looking for? The only uh, <coughs> uh, reservation I have about that is that Michael won't be on the episode. It doesn't just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a proper episode of Hey Kids Comics without the both of you.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I've not got another headphones. So he's got the laptop.
0: <laughs>
1: I've not got another headset. Otherwise, he could join in.
0: Well, let's. Uh, Let's just knock this out, and we'll figure out where uh, where it's going <laughs> afterwards. You've been on the show
1: twice.
0: What did he say? He's never been, been on one?
1: You've been on the show
0: twice. I have? Who are you talking to? You. You were in the oh, Disney okay. ones. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> oh, is that what Michael said from the background? No, Michael's busy. Oh,
1: I don't know okay. what he's doing. What are you doing, love? Oh, he's doing notes for our show.
0: Ah man, I need a secretary.
1: (laughs) A secretary. I do. He's my yeoman,
0: Rand. (laughs) That was an image I just didn't need. Okay, let's see. How do we want to do this? Um, I think I've got the perfect intro for this episode.
1: Find their ill logic and foolish emotions constant irritant. Then transfile out!
0: Freak! Two! True! Come on in the circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here
1: to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum.
0: Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty lip, worm-headed sack of monkey (laughs) shit. Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the
1: Tylenol? And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. I fucking love that guy! And Chris Honeywell. He stinks, and I don't like him. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain.
0: (laughs) Blah, blah, blah! Hello and welcome to I don't know what the hell the name of this episode is. I'm Scott Gardner and I am joined from across the pond by my good friend Andrew Leyland of the ever-excellent Hey Kids Comics Podcast. Hello, Scott. (laughs) How's it going, man? I'm
1: wonderful. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I figure, you know, we we just sat here and spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out, okay, whose show is it going to be? Okay, now who? what episode is it going to be? I don't know. Let's just come clean. We're just going to throw this out there. We don't know what episode it is, what feed it's on or anything. We're just going to have fun, and we're just going to shoot the breeze. So. Yeah,
1: chuck it out there and see where it
0: sticks. There you go. It'll end up being like the hot new thing. we got to go <laughs> ahead and start a whole new podcast now. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> So we were trying to figure out what we wanted to just kind of shoot the breeze about. Because we are literally, we're, we're both sitting here, just no notes, no no prearranged anything whatsoever. We just decided we wanted to to get together just to chit-chat today. So you had, uh, you had thrown out the magic words, Star Trek. Is that what we want to talk about? Uh, we can talk about
1: whatever you want. I saw The Amazing Spider-Man this week. I've never actually sat and talked Star Trek with you. Uh, although if you and Chris do a mock time without me, I will have to kill you both.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought it was uh, And the Children Shall Lead was the one that you Oh, dear God. <laughs> you know what I just watched? I just but- watched Friday's Child for uh, for next Star Trek Monthly Monday.
1: That's not an awful one.
0: Uh, Well, it's not a good one either. No,
1: no, it's not a good one. But (laughs) Julie Newmar's in it. But they made the mistake of making her pregnant. If you're watching Julie Newmar, you don't want to see her pregnant. You want to see her in a skin-tight Catwoman outfit.
0: I don't know what it is about me. I mean... There's certain women in the world that every guy seems to think is just, oh, she's just it, you know, like, uh, like say, Angelina Jolie or something. And a lot of these women I just look at and go, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I know I'm not gay or something. I just don't get it, you know? And she's one of them. Julie Newmar, I just never saw the, the appeal or the attraction. I know I'm in the minority, so don't write in. Don't complain. I'm just – I'm acknowledging <laughs> – that somehow this differs me from my fellow man. I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, she don't she don't do it for me. And maybe part of it is is that this is one of the earliest things I ever saw her in. I think even before Batman, is I saw her as you know pregnant crazy lady in this episode. So <laughs> she has a couple of great scenes with Doctor McCoy in it. Though. Yeah, yeah, she does. I like where she, uh, in, you know, in, in a righteous world, she should have split his skull wide open with that rock that she clubs him with. Yeah. yeah. And as it is, he just gets like a migraine out of it. But uh yeah, she really clobbers him with that thing. Doesn't he punch her back? He slaps her, but yeah. Good. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's a good solid, you know, slap too. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty excellent. So who's your favorite catwoman then? My favorite catwoman, um <sighs> acknowledging that i haven't really liked any of them so far i guess just by default it would have to be michelle pfeiffer because she looked really good in that outfit and i mean she's it's not like she's a horrible actress she's a really good actress i just i didn't like that particular portrayal of uh of catwoman in that movie But I thought she was good in the role that she was given, and she, you know, like I say, she looks good. She's, you know, she's not hard on the eyes. I liked, uh, I liked Catwoman as she both uh, looked and was written in the uh, in the latter uh, half or latter season, whatever it was, of Batman the animated series. Although why she was kind of like blue skinned, I never really understood. Um, I guess like the best characterization would, would honestly have to be like the, the earlier seasons, like the beginning seasons of Batman, the animated series. I just don't like that outfit, that, that gray outfit doesn't really do it for me. It looks a little funny and Adrian Barbeau. eh, I mean, she's, she's okay, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know if that was an answer at all, but (laughs) there you go. There's my thought process. I didn't like any of the Catwomen from the, from the Batman, you know, the, the Adam West show and, uh. Not Lee Merryweather oh, You know, I I completely forgot about. Her. No, I got you know, it might it might have to be her. I completely forgot about her because I was thinking of uh, of Julie Newmar and uh, and Eartha Kitt. I completely <laughs> forgot about Lee Merriweather. Yeah, you're right. I I yeah. I always thought she was very attractive.
1: Yeah, I think I'd go for Lee Merriweather.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was good in that episode of Star Trek. She was in as well. Yeah, even though the episode wasn't very good. <laughs>
0: Are you talking about, um, what is that? All, is it All My Yesterdays? Is that the one? No, that which survives. All Our Yesterdays
1: was Mariette Hartley, who went on uh, to marry David see, I Banner. See,
0: always, I always confuse the two of them. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Went on to marry David
1: Banner and then have a brain hemorrhage and die. Isn't that awful? Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? Moral of this story don't marry a lead actor in a TV show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Words to live by. Yeah. Otherwise sure, you're gonna die. <laughs> um Yeah, you know, the amazing Spider Man. I you know, you're you're the second one to give me a, a personal recommendation on that. Or at least I think that's what you were giving me on that. So. Um, it's not appallingly bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> not I wanna
1: see that on the DTG. <laughs> <laughs> not appallingly bad, Andrew Leyland. Um it's it's not as good as some people on Facebook would have you believe. Okay. It's not like, I mean, I know you don't like Batman Begins, but that's what a lot of people said, Spider-Man Begins. Okay. It's its not its not terrible by any means. The problem that it has, the cast are uniformly excellent. Andrew Garfield is really good. Emma Stone is brilliant, because one of my problems with the Raimi movies is Betty Brant should not be hotter than Murray Jane Watson. I don't know what went on there. She
0: was cute, too.
1: Yeah. And it's like, Because when you saw Elizabeth Banks, you thought, oh, they're going to do the Betty Brant story. Brilliant. And then they didn't,
0: which was kind of
1: upsetting. But so the cast are uniformly brilliant. Dennis Leary is fantastic as Captain Stacy. I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody so they don't have to turn off. Uh, The problem is the first half of the film is the origin again, which we saw not long ago.
0: And and the main thing... so they at least manage to get it right? I mean, does it feel like the comic book one this time?
1: No. The Raimi one is actually more faithful to the comics. Oh, for God's sake. This one, they actually seem to be going out of their way to not do it the way Raimi did it. But Raimi didn't do an awfully bad job of actually doing the comic. So by doing a different version of it, it kind of doesn't feel right. The the death of Uncle Ben is kind of just thrown away in this film
0: my biggest problem with the Raimi version of the origin of spider-man because like you say it's not bad it's just enough changes were made that uh, you know john byrne takes a lot of crap for changes that he made with the origin in um chapter one in order to kind of update the origin and maybe to explain a little bit of the what what i guess some people perceive as kind of the the wonky elements, you know, like why did the why did the burglar come to the Parker household? Um, my answer to that would be because he's a freaking burglar. That's, <laughs> that's all I need. He, he he burgles houses. What what the hell more explanation do you need? You know. But anyway, and it's and it is it's a huge coincidence. But
1: so what? Films right. and comic stories are full of huge right. coincidences. Get over it. Random stuff happens.
0: But, you know, fandom seems more than ready to, you know, pillory John Byrne for what he did with trying to explain it. Yet the Raimi films did the same thing and nobody seems bothered by that. I really hated the whole, you know, the the burglar drags Ben out of his car and shoots him in the street thing in, in the Raimi. That was just dumb. Why didn't the burglar go to the Parker household? And the only reason I can think of is that somebody looked at the comic and thought, Well, that's dumb. Peter ran into the burglar in the city, and then he comes out to the burbs to rob their house. You're missing the point. That's the story. I don't Mm. care how he got there or why he got there. He got there. It's as simple as that. Spider-Man goes and catches the guy. That was the other thing with the Raimi film that drove me nuts is that Spider-Man doesn't catch the guy. He kills the guy. And I know that Peter didn't intend to kill him. Bottom line, he killed him. I hate that in that movie. I hate that. That scene was supposed to end with a guy in a little webbed up bag with a note on him from your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man or however that scene plays out. I mean, but that was the origin. And then you get Peter walking off crying, realizing that, you know, that, you know, everything that happens in the comic and you don't get that. And that's where that movie just completely fell apart for me when they didn't get that right. I honestly just didn't care about the entire second half of that movie you know, mm. the, the stupid, you know, Power Ranger Goblin and all that. At that <laughs> point, I had completely just tuned out of that movie because they got the origin wrong. And, again, my opinion, but that's why I just never really connected with the first one. Yeah. And, you know, if, if they've made the same mistake with the second one, then I, you know, I don't know. Because... Yeah, you know, I got a I got a recommendation from a buddy of mine at work. You know, whose opinion I really respect, and and everything. Of, you know, he came to work the other day and was like, "Hey, did you see Spider Man yet?" And I was like, you know, wasn't really planning to see it, but uh, I know the the boys want to see it. You know, my my sons want to see it. So, you know, whether we actually run out to see it or whether we just nab it when it comes out, you know, to the red box or whatever. I I mean, I'll see it. It's just. You know, with with things I'm seeing and hearing about it, you know, the one big thing for me, and I know you, you know, everybody's gonna take me to task for it, but the costume. I'm a I'm a costume guy. What can I say? You know, you change Superman's costume, you change Spider-Man's costume. To me, they're suddenly not Superman and Spider-Man anymore because you changed them. And you know, the, the, that combination of factors, along with the stink that's still on Spider-Man from uh, from uh, one more day, just adds up to just uh, disinterest more than anything i'm just not invested you know
1: Mm. see i like the first raimi movie i even like the green goblin because you get past the not adapting the comic okay i don't like him killing the bad guy they do go out of the way to try and establish that it was an accident but whatever all
0: right Mm -hmm. okay
1: but in the second one uncle ben's death is still a random street thing It's not at home, the house isn't burgled, and it is just kind of thrown away. He's shot. This isn't a spoiler, by the way, if you didn't know Uncle Ben died. He's shot, and then we're moving on. And there's no funeral scene, there's no big great power comes great responsibility scene. And it it did feel like they just wanted that bit out of the way quick, because everyone's already seen it, to get on with the story they wanted to tell. And it's like if you're going to do that, just do it as a pre-credit sequence
0: and pick up at Ben's funeral. Right. You know, yeah, I I would even be content with them just taking panels from, you know, from Amazing (laughs) Fantasy 15 and laying them over the opening credits to to get us to, you know, get us through the origin type of thing. Because once yeah. he
1: becomes Spider Man, it's a lot it's a more faithful Spider Man than Raimi's in that he is funny and making jokes and he's snappy and he it does a really good sequence of him inventing the web shooters. And all that bollocks that followed through how can a sixteen year old invent web shooters? That's what he does. That's the character. And you buy it in the film because it's made perfectly clear from the beginning Peter's smart. And that was one of the changes about the Raimi ones I really didn't like. I can't stand the organic web shooters. And I think people who say that, you know, he's 16, how could he invent something like that? Why are you reading the comic then? How right. could you buy it in the comic, right. but you can't buy it on film? But the one point we really agree on, that costume sucks ass.
0: Yeah, I don't like the costume at all. It's uh, Now, granted, the kid seriously needs a ham sandwich, but he just looks too scrawny. And now I don't want a beefy... You know, overly muscular Spider-Man, but at the same rate, there's there's a thin line there somewhere, and the combination of him just being really, really scrawny, and then he has much more like the Clone Saga Spider-Man outfit. It just, I don't know. Yeah, it is very. It's it is kind of the Ben Riley one. Uh, see i I almost hate even talking about these things because i I just I feel like I'm constantly taken to cat to task for my for my nit, you know for my fanboy nitpicks as if they're not legitimate criticisms you know yeah. no but, you, but know, I you, you you like what you like you know I mean one of my you know biggest things with with the new Superman film, because everybody keeps you know, trying to get me, oh, what is it you don't like? What is it you don't like? I, I think it's as simple as look at the guy. He's not Superman. It's it, To me, I don't need more explanation than that. Do I honestly? I mean, you look at the guy, and he's wearing Spider-Man's outfit. That's not Superman, so I'm not interested. I mean, do you need a 50-page dissertation on this? You know, I mean, it's (laughs) it's that simple. I look at him, and I go, who the hell is this clown? You know? In the cosplay. You know, whereas I looked at Chris Reeve and said, wow, that Superman walked right out of the pages of Action Comics, you know? Well, he still is as well. Oh, yeah.
1: More importantly. I mean, but it, it's, it's not awful. It isn't an awful film. It's not the, the be-all and end-all. I think there are certain plot threads in it that are quite interesting that haven't been explored properly before. before, before. And I am looking forward to the sequel as long as they change that costume. Somebody on Facebook did say something like, um, the costume will evolve over the course of the films." So well, of course it will. They want to sell
0: action figures. Action figures. I think that is the biggest reason why we're getting costume changes on these big characters um, is to continue to sell action figures. I think it's as simple as that. Mm. You know, which, I can't fault them for that because, you know, as as these guys, you know, uh, Joey Q and and What's-His-Face keep wanting to point out, it is a business. Of course it is. I understand that. You have a bottom line. You have shareholders you're beholden to and all that sort of thing. Sure, I get that. But, Come on, there's other ways that I think you can make your buck other than, you know, making a, a, a fundamental change that you know is going to, you know, there's there's going to be a healthy portion of your audience that's, that's going to get riled up about it. I'm one of them. I'm sorry. I can't turn it off. You know, Spike yeah. has an iconic. Act. You know, if they really wanted to sell some more action figures or they, they just had to change the costume, give them the black and white one. You know, yeah. well, they've released an action figure of the black and white costume and his proper costume,
1: and Ben Riley's costume. So I I don't understand the thinking behind it. It's not like this range of action figures for this movie is solely this costume, because I've bought a ton of them. Because they've got Doctor Octopus and Venom and the Green Goblin. I've not gone near the movie costume, because I think it's crap. It looks like you just said, the Spider-Man. There are certain costumes you can tinker with. There are certain costumes that, yeah, you probably wouldn't get away with in live action. Probably Wolverines probably wouldn't work in a film. All right? But you don't mess with Spider-Mans, you don't mess with Superman's, Because it's not just the iconic nature of the costume, it's there is no reason to change them. They have been proven that they work in live action. So there's no need to say, well, this obviously wouldn't work in live action. No, 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 they do. Right. It worked when George Reeves wore it. It worked when Nicholas Hammond wore it. Even those threadbare 50s and 70s TV versions, the costume still worked. Mm Mm-hmm. And it worked in the Raimi movies. Whatever else may not have, the costume worked fine. And Christopher Reeve's costume worked fine. And even Dean Cain's costume when they got rid of that stupid cape that he wore with the big shoulder pads. Do you remember that one? Yeah. In the early days of the, the show, he had, like, the, the suit, the costume was okay, but the cape was glued to his shoulders. <laughs> rather than tucked into his neck. And that looked ridiculously stupid, but they must have realized it because they changed it pretty quickly. I think he only wore it for one or two episodes.
0: I didn't hate that only because, yeah, it did look bad, but I think, uh, well, at least in my mind what they were going for was I, I thought that they were trying to to capture the, the John Byrne feeling. Yeah. Because Byrne tried to stuff? do that bunched up thing on the, yeah. you know, with the cape, similar to how um, Simonson had drawn Thor with it, yeah. with the cape like that, and I loved, you know, I really loved that look in the comics, and I kind of got the feeling that's what they were trying to do, but. You know, unfortunately Dean Kane, for as good as he looked, he you know, he just he wasn't burned Superman. He wasn't that massive figure that could really yeah. pull that look off, you know. He didn't
1: have the neck and shoulders for it. Right. And it the other thing about that costume as well, which again they altered subsequently from the series. I mean, the costume he was in the pilot is still the best one, but he never wore that one again. He changed it to Lycra. If you look at the costume in the first couple of episodes, he's got this plunging neckline. I don't want to see man cleavage on my Superman. <laughs> and so the the, the knock on effect from that was the S was down over his belly button.
0: Okay, see, ed- I may I may have never seen that because I watched the pilot and I pretty much tuned out after that. I watched like one or two. I don't think I even finished them, but I like when when that show was brand new. I watched the pilot thought it was awful, and I think I like sampled the next couple of episodes and didn't feel like it improved, and I never watched any more of it. I, I thought it was pretty much a, you know, an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> I, See, I, like, I like the first season quite a bit. Gee, I remain completely stupefied by people that I know are huge fans of Superman and, and also embrace that show because I, I look at that show as pretty much, you know, weeing all over the era Superman. Like, like they, they took the, you know, they tried to take it and not so much adapt it as like camp it up. Like, like the old Batman TV show, like it took the comics and just, you know took everything that they saw as silly and and everything like and ran with that and that's kind of what I feel like Lois and Clark did was like it it looked at Man of Steel and just you know I like see I don't really think there's silly elements in it but I guess you know, if you're not really into comics, you know, then then you could look at it and go, well, this is just ridiculous. Let's run with that. And that's kind of what I feel like they did with that show. But I I don't know. I mean, it has its fans and I don't want to yeah. Yeah, insult but it, anybody but
1: it has a huge following it has a huge fan base there's an entire internet website devoted to carrying the show on they've all wrote their own episodes for season six and so on and or whenever it got cancelled did it do four years or five i can't remember but whenever it got cancelled these fans have all carried the show on and like i'm, I'm always like fair play to them for that Anyone who's got that level of commitment to something, that they're willing to do something that creative, let them get on with it. Sure. After, after the first season, the show wasn't for me anymore. I think what you say has validity after season one. Season one felt a bit more serious than the other stuff. And there is one episode in the first season that I really do think is one of the best Superman live-action things I've ever seen. And ironically, Superman's burly in it. It's the episode where Clark takes Lois back to Smallville. And some guy, Trask, tracks him down with kryptonite. It's the first one that has kryptonite in it. And he exposes Clark Kent to kryptonite. And that's one of the best shows they did. Because it, it is all Clark in Smallville with his parents. And it's really good. But of, after the second season, it did. The quality did tank quite dramatically on Lois and Clark.
0: I don't know. It's one of those things that I've always kind of meant to go back and take a look at. Because so many people have said, you know, good things about it. you know people whose, opi- you know, whose opinions that I really respect, but it's a, it's a low priority type of thing, and I've just yeah, gotten no, down it, to it, you know. But it
1: is very light hearted, I think, and that may just be because of the time slot. But again, that was huge over here. That show was commanding huge ratings on BBC One at a time when the BBC weren't getting huge ratings on a Saturday evening because that was a Saturday evening show, kind of like Doctor Who, around the 7 o'clock slot. And it was really popular.
0: I remember when it came out, I remember I was really looking forward to it, because I, I kept up with... Whatever show was promoting it at the time, I don't know if it was Entertainment Tonight or what, but some show was doing like regular coverage of, of the production of the pilot, and really talking up the series, and talking about you know how it's going to have these awesome effects, and... Just everything I saw really looked, you know, really sold me on the fact that, wow, this was, this was burned Superman coming to television. Mm. And just that pilot episode, it's like they, they took so many elements from Man of Steel and I felt like they just, uh, just didn't deliver it. It's, it was this weird, um... Like through a mirror, cracked version of it, or something, because you know they had <laughs> bizarro that, version. Yeah, it, you know, because they had the the space plane type of thing, you know, with a space shuttle, whatever it was supposed to be. And but then they had the weird bomb thing, and I'll never forget that. The, I think the moment where I was like, okay, I think I'm out w- with that pilot, was where he saves the the shuttle by swallowing the explosive, and then he burps. And that's the moment when Lois, like, gets all hot for him. And I'm thinking, no woman falls for any man who perks <laughs> in their face at their first meeting. It just doesn't work that way, you know? I don't care that he can fly and throw cars around. That doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> I, was, I was out at that point. I never considered that.
1: And the first time we we came to Florida it was a, a boys' holiday when I was about 20 or 21, well, and it was just before that show launched, and they had a plane with um, the S logo trailing behind it, flying around over Disneyland and over Universal Studios. Oh wow! They were hyping the hype. The show got hyped because it was up against Sequest, wasn't it? Sequest DSV.
0: Oh, God, I forgot about was, that show. It was
1: on at the same time. But that was pretty cool, to see this plane flying around with the Superman S on the flag behind it. That was nice to see.
0: That would be neat. For some reason, we get a lot of those around here. To this day, there's there's always uh, planes flying around dragging banners behind them. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> dragging adverts. Yeah. You've even got adverts in your sky. You know, it's, it's just, you would think that in, in this day and age, that sort of thing would be kind of, you know... Kind of antiquated and would have fallen by the wayside by now, but they they still do it. We get yeah. uh, we get planes dragging around banners, and we get uh, we get skywriting like all the time. Right? There's a there's a guy or company or somebody around here that that does uh, religious skywriting like all the time around the area. It's I mean it's cool. It's just kind of different, you know. It takes a while to get used to. Like, <laughs> get used to these planes just writing stuff in the air. Yeah. Uh, we have a we have a very busy sky, you know, where I live. It's 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 just it took me a long time to get used to it because for one thing it's so flat here. You know, the state is just completely flat. So you can see everywhere, you know, in the sky. And it's yeah. just it's very, very, very busy, you know, with with all the, the airplane, you know, just the commercial traffic, but then you know, like I say, you get the advertising um planes and things, and then dirigibles. Yeah, we have several dirigibles in the sky at any given time and that that's really cool. That was something that's taken me a while to, to get used to. I'm still not really used. I hope I never really get used to it because that's a cool sight, you know, to, to actually see to see one of them in the those sky. Those giant lighter-than-air craft just floating around, you know, in, in the skyline. It's it's really neat to, you know, when you you look at the the downtown you know, skyline, and, and here's blimps. You know, it's it. That's neat. That's that's really cool. I like that. But uh, hey, we gave you a shout out, by the way, in the uh, the Captain America commentary. That uh, yes, the- I heard your
1: Captain America. <laughs> it was very good. Well, it's because uh, well, we discussed this when I was over with you, didn't we? The Captain America thing. That, yeah. That uh, I I had the opinion that it has the potential to be better than superman i mean obviously something like that needs five or ten years to settle in this was of course before the avengers was released (laughs) and kind of swept everything else that had been done before under the carpet and said no this is how we're going to do it from now on and i think that that may be part of my my small disappointment with the amazing spider-man was the avengers has happened and it's like you can't go back now Somebody has shown that you can do this stuff, you can treat it with reverence, you can do it properly, everyone can wear a costume, and it still works. And you can even have stuff like the helicarrier that you never thought you'd see. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And all of this can work with a, a creator or a director who plays it straight, but sees that there can be funny bits in it. But the funny bits don't come from camping it up. The thing with the Spider-Man stuff is Spider-Man is funny in Amazing Spider-Man, but that's the only light-hearted bit in it. It is pretty grim most of the time, whereas with the Avengers, you got a laugh for every grim bit. Right. And he, we did not really got the balance right. So it, it was nice to hear you do um, a Captain America commentary, because of the single people, the single heroes Marvel movies, I think that's still my favourite one. And oh, it really? is largely due to Chris Evans. I think Chris Evans was magnificent because it would be so easy to get Cap wrong, in the same way that it would, it's easy to get Superman wrong, and Christopher Reeve didn't. And I think Chris Evans is in the same mould.
0: I have a horrible, horrible time picking my my favourite, you know, Avengers lead-up movie and sticking with it because I, I think my list changes constantly. The only one that that can, stays consistent on my list is the original Iron Man. It's still my least favorite one, but the other ones constantly jockey for new positions, you know. Given you know e- each subsequent rewatch, but uh, I, I I loved them all. I thought they were all fantastic movies. Mm. Um, Cap, I may have had the most issues with than the other ones, though. Strangely enough, I didn't bring a lot of them up during the the commentary, but. Uh, it, it, you know, the Thor one I thought was phenomenal. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. But see, the thing with the Avengers to me is that I, I remember in the theater watching that movie and just thinking, you know, this is a complete game changer. You know, this yeah. this completely changed the face of comic book movies and other movies are going to, you know, other franchises are going to have to now... Adapt or feel like dinosaurs, com- you know, compared to that movie. So, yeah, it's going to take a little while to, to catch up, I'm sure, because movies like you know, Amazing Spider-Man and Dark Knight floats and all that—they were still, um, you know, being made when Avengers, you know, was was being made, you know, before it was released as well. So. It'll take a little while to catch up, but I I think you're going to see that have to happen here pretty soon.
1: Mm. Well, The the Amazing Spider-Man looks like it has taken its cues from the Marvel movies. There's a lot of loose ends in the film to presumably be carried over into a sequel. And it has an end credit tag that will presumably be carried over into the sequel. So it does seem like Amazing Spider-Man has been watching the Marvel movies. And see, another thing I had with the Raimi one, why did they not plan it as a trilogy from the beginning? And they, they, that's not how they were done then. They did the one with the hope that they would do a sequel. Now everybody wants a franchise. Right. And I think if you want to do that, then you have to plot your movies in such a way that your audience wants to come back for the sequel. And the way to do that is do like they've done with the Avengers. You tell a story, but you will do like the comics have been doing for years, but you leave little dandling things that you can carry over
0: into the next one. So I can't help but wonder, you know, this... Sudden announcement that they made. Are there as many people put off by that as excited about it? About you know that the, the new Spider-Man thing is going to be a, a trilogy, because in my mind that also signals the fact of you know, or at least as a callback to the fact. Well, you know, the first one, the, the Raimi one, was only a trilogy. So does that mean we're going to get nothing but trilogies out of Spider-Man?
1: I uh, see. I don't know. I mean, the James Bond films managed for forty years. By following the template that I just dismissed, and it right. didn't do them any harm.
0: See, I think that's the way to do it. I think that's what they should have done with uh, with Spider-Man. You know, with this one should be the fourth movie. I think the only reason that it, it wasn't the fourth movie is that fanboys can't get over their hang-ups with the third movie. I, I I could be wrong, but I don't think the third movie did well or did badly financially. Did it? I think I know th- it. It did phenomenally well financially. Right. So it was the critical part of it, and I'm mm-hmm. surprised that that would be enough to just reboot the the entire thing. I I'm absolutely you know amazed by that. Really that that that's you know if that was what the decision was. was well, you know. This one's run its course because nobody liked the third one. Well, you know, the numbers don't bear that out.
1: No, and the James Bond approach, again, they made one that nobody likes. They just carried on and made another one, and maybe we right. will like the next one. Right. See, I always thought it's a shame that Reeve didn't get the chance to do something like that with Superman and do three. I mean, if DC and Warner's had the brains together, how cool would it have been to have Superman the movie in 78, Batman in 1980, Superman 2 in 81? World's finest in '83, and keep building. How cool would that have been? Just to have Superman and Batman together. Yeah. I don't know who would have played Batman in 1980. Yeah, because they, uh, they Warner Brothers have just shown a complete inability to be able to handle their properties from the get go. To be the, the success of Superman seems to have caught them completely by surprise, even back as 30 years ago.
0: Oh, it did. It, it completely did because they had absolutely zero faith in that movie being any good. You know, and no, the only person in that production is, you know, truly was uh, was Richard Donner. And then he was able to sell and expire, you know, inspire other people like Chris Reeve. But honestly, you know, when it came to the studio and, and so many other people, I mean, I, I think it caught them by surprise because I don't even think they realized the movie that, that Donner was making. Mm-hmm. I think they thought they were going to get something again that was very close in tone to say batman you know of the 60s or you know that god awful superman musical that was on tv over here back in i think that was 75
1: yeah that was just all released on youtube wasn't
0: it oh is it now out there
1: yeah you could you could watch the whole thing on youtube i think i think i managed about 5 minutes of it
0: yeah i paid a fortune for that this is quite a number of years ago now but when uh, when VHS was in its infancy, and bootlegs were still something you know you had to find listed in some you know underground newspaper somewhere and you know send off for i I yeah, did I, I paid a fortune for that thing and because uh, i I had fond memories of it from when I was a kid, but of course, you know I was like five or six years old when it was on TV and you know I was hey, it was Superman on TV flying around and you know smacking people and stuff. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> And so my memories of it, you know, were, were that it was really really cool. And then I got it and watched it, and was I was like you, I barely made it through it. I mean, more than anything, it was kind of a, well, you know, I committed to this, I paid good money for it, <laughs> I'm gonna have to sit through it now. You know, maybe it gets better. Yeah. But no, I've, I watched it, rewatched it the one time, and was just like horrified, like wow, I was like a severely brain damaged child apparently. So.
1: <laughs> no, it's just when you're a kid, just the fact that you see it on TV. And it's exciting. And I remember watching the Batman TV show and having my little dinky Batmobile. And we used to have a little hole just in between the settee and the stairs, And that was the entrance to the Batcave. And I would have the car come out of that little hole while the TV show was on. And mm-hmm. you watch it now and you think, hmm, yeah. All right, I still do that, yeah. Because I've still got that Batmobile. You know, with the two little Batman and Robin figures. Oh, I love them. Sitting in the seats. And the, the thing on the back are the red in red torpedoes. There? No, they come out. Mine oh, okay. come out,
0: you're, you're, and I've never lost them. You might have a different one than the one I the one I used to have the one because I went through a ton of them. I went through like dozens of them because they were cheap. You know, they were just plastic, and it had oh, a man,
1: little. Oh, okay. Mine's the die casting. You press a button and a blade comes out the front. Oh wow! And at the back, you had three little red torpedo tubes that you put in the, the you know the, the thing they had on the okay, back
0: okay i know the one you're talking about yeah i don't think i ever had one of those but now i know the one you're talking about yeah that was nice
1: yeah i've still got that it's beaten all to hell but i've, I've never lost the little figures the little <laughs> Batman and robin that i've none of the torpedoes anymore i don't know because they they're exactly the same torpedoes would fit in the back of the lotus esprit james bond car. From the spy you love me, you know, the one that goes underwater.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have that. that somewhere around here. I have the cor- little tor- corgi. Tor- uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, the little corgi one. And the same torpedoes would go in the four slots at the back of that. <laughs> so I somewhere along the line, I lost all of them. But I still have the Batmobile.
0: Yeah, when I was a kid, they made a, a, a molded plastic Batmobile. And I mean, it was just, it was very simple in its design. I mean, it was it was a solid piece of plastic molded in the shape of the Batmobile. And then the wheels were just like, they were almost like wagon wheels. You know, it's like it had like one thin piece of metal stretched between that would hold the wheels on. And then Batman and Robin were very, very simplistic. They were just one molded piece of plastic. They were one color. And it was like Batman was red and Robin was yellow or something like that, you know. And they, they kind of vaguely resembled Batman and Robin and that was about it. And they were actually, uh, you know, like attached, right? You know, like they snapped into the sea. So you could pry them out, but you couldn't ever like play with them or anything. You know, they were really intended to just be part of the Batmobile. But they were cheap, you know? I mean, I don't know what they cost, but they were cheap enough that, you know, if you smashed one, you know, you could con your parents into buying you a replacement. So me and my friends, we would get these Batmobiles and... I don't know what it is about my. I look back at my childhood now and go, what What was it with me and breaking and destroying stuff? But we used to get these Batmobiles, and we'd get the you know like the neighborhood kids. We'd get on each side of the road, and we'd you know slide the car back and forth across the road until it got hit by a car and crushed. <laughs> it's like what the hell was wrong with us? But you know that's that's what we did, and I went through dozens of those things.
1: But well, the closest, I, I always kept my stuff in reasonably good condition. But the closest I ever got to that was two things. My granddad built me a model enterprise. You know the model kits? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a movie enterprise. So it was either Starfleet the Motion Picture model kit or Starfleet 2. I can't remember at this point. Ah. But it, it was a big one. It was quite a big one. It was a lovely model. He built it for me. It had all the decals on. It was fantastic. And I had it for years. Uh, but once I knocked it off. The top of my wardrobe, where I kept it, it fell, and the saucer section snapped off. And it wasn't a clean break; it was broke. So what I did was it I set the saucer section on fire and threw <laughs> that bit out the window, and then threw the the nacelle bit out the window, like in the end of Star Trek Three. Oh, cool. Up, and I reenacted that bit because I couldn't fix it, and I was gutted that I'd broke it. And um, the I did the other one; I did it with my ex wing fighter. The, the actual model x when you know the, the luke skywalker action figure would go in mm-hmm. and you press eat on the back and be, beep, 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 beep. i had the original from 78 or whatever that didn't have you could get one later that came with distressed decals do you remember that yeah i do remember yeah goes on to make it look battle damage but mine didn't have them mine was the original one so what i would do with it at the bottom of the garden my, my granddad would grow um vegetables for eating carrots and uh, you know all that stuff and there was a little bit at the bottom of the garden that was just dirt and clay and i I would say to him why do you have anything there and he said well that's clay i can't plant anything on that so it just got left and it was clay and it was dirty because it rains here all the time and i used to put my x-wing into this big mass of dirt and water and clay and i just crash it into there and pretend it was (laughs) degabar but the next thing i did i got string. I tied string around the X-Wing and then looped them around my thumb and some of my fingers. And then I had my little Yoda action figure stand there with his hand up. And then I would pull the X-Wing out of the mud on string. You know, like the old Thunderbirds TV
0: shows.
1: (laughs) Yoda was lifting it out of the mud using the force.
0: That's awesome.
1: (laughs) And it, it was never the same after I kept crashing it into mud.
0: See, I don't see kids doing that sort of thing today. I mean, maybe it's just my kids, but I can't get my kids to, to go outside the house, you know. But when I was a kid, I was never indoors, you know. it was always outside with my Star Wars or my Hot Wheels or something, you know, playing in the mud and the dirt. And, and we oh, did. I do
1: it as well. There's an alleyway not far away from where we live now. You can't walk down it now. It's all overgrown with bracken and stuff. But this little alleyway it was very thin. It was just wide enough for you to be able to get your bike handlebars down there so that's how thin it was and what we used to do was we used to bomb down that alleyway as fast as we could four or five of us playing death star trench oh yeah but it was it's only when you look back at it now that you think if the handlebars slipped an inch to the left or the right you caught them in the railings you were off your bike right and it's only now you look at it and go, bloody hell, we were insane when we were children.
0: Oh yeah, well that I mean that I think that's just part and parcel of of childhood. You don't realize until you look back, you know. Usually as a as a full grown adult, and realize you know that you, know, you were probably making your uh, your guardian angel put in some serious OT on the job. <laughs> you know, I know I did because yeah. you know one of one of our places, you know, one of our uh. uh you know, play sets, I guess you'd call it, um, that Chris and I used to go to. And, and a lot of our other friends, it was actually an abandoned paper mill that was out on this Island. And it got to a point where it got so bad and the, the police got so tired of, of trying to keep kids off this Island that they actually like erected like this, like very like escape from New York looking barrier. On the bridge, you know, it's like all barbed wire and razor wire and shit to try to keep kids from going over there. And we just find new and inventive ways to get around it, you know, but we actually would go over there and it was just it was literally it was an island and you'd go across the bridge and you'd figure out a way around the barrier and go over to this island. And it was this, you know, paper mill that had sat empty for God knows how many years. I mean, it looked like it had been there. For hundreds of years. You know, that was part of the cool nature of it is it actually looked like something out of like, you know, Logan's Run or something, Mm. you know, because it was all overgrown and just ancient looking. And it had been this mill that uh, just sat there unused and we'd go over there and we'd have our, you know, our wars and battles and, you know, play, you know, Star Wars or whatever. And uh, man, that place was a death trap, you know. (laughs) I mean, you know, you, you knew very well that you could never stay past dark. Because, you know, there were these giant openings in the floors in a lot of the rooms of the place where machinery had once set, you know. So, you know, you, you had to always be on your guard when you were playing. You know, if you were playing Star Wars, for example, you know, you're running from stormtroopers. You better watch where you're going because you could literally run into a hole and drop five stories, you know. Mm. Hey, but, you know, you're a, you're a kid. You don't think about. The, the danger that's all, you know, other than, you know, well, I don't want to fall and get hurt, you know, but you don't think I could die here, you know, <laughs> the, or, yeah. you know or, or, you know, just some of the really crazy things that, you know, that kids do that I remember uh, there was a section of the place that we couldn't get to that we always wanted to go and explore. And the only way to get there was to crawl across the top of this wall. But right in the middle of the wall was a section that you could see. Obviously, it was broken, you know, and just hanging by a thread. But you you would have to go over that section in order to crawl all the way across the top of the wall to get to where you wanted to go. Yeah. And I did that as a kid. I crawled across that section. And I can only think it was divine intervention that kept that block, that one broken piece from falling out. Because not only would it have fallen, and the, the the fall alone probably would have killed me, but that that block, that piece of wall was massive. It probably weighed as much as a car, you know. So if the fall didn't kill you, if you got smacked by that rock, you know, you you were done. And, mm. you know. Crazy stuff like that 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 we (laughs) just didn't think anything of, you know?
1: Mm, Hanging around on building sites because they didn't used to be locked. Yep. 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 Going through attics and things because they were still building the houses. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but anyway, we were talking about Star Trek. (laughs) Were (laughs) we? 40, 49 minutes ago, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now we've just gone on a tirade about when we were a lad.
0: Well, you know, you, you got me to think you were saying the thing about the bicycle. Um, that's, that's what really got me thinking about it because I don't know how many times I wiped out on my bike as a kid, you know, and, and went, you know, just ass over tea kettle, you know, just, yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, just would get right back on and do it again. And I never really thought anything of it until, uh, my, uh, one of my uncles had a business partner and, uh. That business partner's son died that way. He was riding his ten-speed. It was just you know simple everyday thing. You know he was riding to work or school or whatever. Went to hop the curve. You know how you know sometimes yeah. you, just, you just like give a sudden jerk on the handles and it would pop up over a curve and you just keep going.
1: You could bunny to, hop.
0: Yeah, and he went to do that and something went wrong and the bike stopped and he went right over the handlebars and boom broke his neck and that was it. And I'm thinking. I've done that a million times, you know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, that, I think that was actually the first time in my life I ever had that that hesitate, you know, that stop a moment and think type of thing, you know, <laughs> up until that point never really occurred to me, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah that just coming over your handlebars could kill you. Yeah. Cause, oh, yeah, that, I did that all the time. Yeah. Because I was still biking to work when I was uh, 20. I didn't get a car till I was about 23, 24. And um, I was biking to work once, and this car hit me just came out the road and hit me and I just skidded, I jumped off the bike because I thought, screw that, I'm not going under his wheels. The bike goes under the wheels, tough on his car and sailed across his bonnet and just landed on the other side and she was panicking because she'd run over and the bike was knackered and I was perfectly fine and it was one of those things, if I hadn't jumped off, would I have gone under the wheel? Right. And I got home and the handlebars were knackered and my granddad was like, what did you do? And I told him and he said, let's not tell your nan about this. okay.
0: (laughs) I'm down with that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's stuff like that, that I think about and go, "Ooh, how am I still here?" You know, all these years later. There's there's definitely been a a long line of uh, of of narrow escapes like that that I thank my lucky stars for.
1: Yeah, well, like you say, you're a kid. You don't think of stuff like
0: that, do you? No. I don't like to think about it now, actually. let us <laughs> I agree with you. Let's change the topic. Let's
1: talk about watching television, which is a far safer occupation.
0: <laughs> well, it depends on what you're watching, I guess. But, well, yeah. But no, what were we talking about with Star Trek? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just before the pre-show
1: um, preamble, we just said, well, we've never discussed Star Trek. You're right. But we ended up talking about Spider-Man and Superman and stuff. <laughs> Welcome to Two True Freaks. <laughs> 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 where we talk about whatever the hell we like for 50 minutes. And then we actually get into talking about what we should be talking about. But we don't have a topic tonight. This is just free form. You and it see. can be anything you want. Um, well, the thing with Star Trek, I was going to say about Star Trek, is they've just started rerunning, you know, all the remastered ones? hmm. On um, some cable channel over here. Uh, at the show, it started in '69 and then ran on BBC One for, God knows, donkey's years. But the the remastered ones have only been shown on cable stations, and I was channel surfing a couple of weeks ago, and it was The Enemy Within. And they're showing them in 16 by 9 widescreen. And I'm watching it, and your initial reaction is, oh, cool. And then you start watching, and because you've seen them so many times, you're spotting that they've cropped it to make it
0: 16 by 9 widescreen. Oh, uh, okay. I, I was just going to say, I how did that how does that work cuz I didn't think they existed in that ratio. Well, I I did some research on the internet
1: and I discovered that you know when they've remastered the special effects, right. They've done they've done the special effects in the 16 by 9 for for widescreen televisions. And apparently anything that was shot on film, 16mm or 35mm or whatever film, does have a little bit of extra at the sides because of the shape of film. Now, Chris would probably know more, a lot more about this than us because he's actually done film school. But apparently, if it was shot on film like that, you can make a new negative that is in 16 by 9 widescreen. And that seems to be what they've done with Star Trek because the special effects have been mastered in that way. So it seems like they've done it deliberately so that in a couple of years they will roll these new prints out. Because I couldn't find anything on any Trek bulletin boards about these having heard in America. The American ones all seem to be the 4 by 3 ones. So I was curious about this, and I'm watching it. And it just started setting, you know, your hackles rising, because we spent forever trying to get them to release movies in letterbox, Right. Because because of Pan and Scan. Pan and Scan bugged me as a child. I, I've got indelible images in my head of Jaws and Superman of certain scenes when I watch them on DVD that I still see the crappy Pan and Scan version that I had on videotape. The scene in Superman 2, you know, where Lois is crushing the oranges. Right. And she gives Clark a glass and there's a tiny little bit of orange juice at the bottom. The pan and scan version, you don't see what he's holding. And so forever, and now whenever I watch that now, I always remember that. For years, I couldn't see what he was holding because of the TV print. And it just seems we've gone the other way now. Everything's letterboxed on DVD and whatever, so that you're in a proper film as it is. But now they've gone the other way and they're making TV shows that shouldn't be TV shows, shouldn't be letterboxed. Wide screen. Right. So they're cutting the tops of people's heads off to compose the frame. <laughs> and it, it is it's some of the shots look lovely. They really do. Some of them hold up really well. But there was a shot in the enemy within where it's the three of them looking at the dog with the pointy horn on his head. And you can't see what they're looking at. Because of the way they framed the shot to fit the widescreen TV. You don't see what they doing and then Spot leans down to drug it, doesn't it, with the hypo needle, the hypo spray. And you can't actually see what he's doing, and it's it's kind of pained me because I did want to watch all of these on TV because I've got them all downloaded, and of course I couldn't resist watching a mock time. And again, there's certain framing elements that just look wrong in 16 by 9 widescreen. Right. And I just, I, did they get shown like that over there, or is this just us?
0: See, I don't, I. We've been watching the uh, the remastered ones for the show, but I – see, I'm not sure because I – we just recently got a, uh, a widescreen TV and uh, I think I still have to adjust it to like a normal setting in order to watch that because – the, th- the thing with the with the widescreen TV is if the thing you're watching wasn't originally widescreen and you put it on the widescreen TV, then it looks squashed. It looks yeah. Because f- I had to play with the settings through the whole movie the other night. I was watching uh, Johnny Tremaine, which is an old uh, I think it's from the '50s. It's an old '50s Disney movie. And I just couldn't get that thing to look right to save my life because if I got the the figures to not look all squashed and compact, then it looked funny on the sides because it was like, well, now I'm not using the whole television. So then I'd try a different setting and it was like, okay, now I'm using the whole television but everybody looks squished. you know. So I just couldn't get it right (laughs) to save my life. But I'm trying to remember – because I just recently started watching the remastered Star Treks on TV because up till now I'd always been watching them on the computer. And I'm trying to remember if that fits the entire screen or not. I want to say it doesn't. I, I'm almost positive it doesn't. Because I know a couple of times when it's been a space scene being a little bit jarred when it would go back to like an interior scene because all of a sudden you could see the sides again. You know, you could mm. see where, where the screen was cut off, whereas it doesn't. It's not as jarring in a, in a space scene because it's just black anyway, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I don't, yeah, I, at least on my television it doesn't fit the whole thing. But they're probably not the same print you're talking about.
1: No, and um, ours will have had to be converted for PAL, won't they? So everybody's voice gets speeded up. And everyone sounds a bit like that. They like, sound like chipmunks.
0: No, but what I'm saying is I, I think these ones that you're watching may be even newer than the, the enhanced ones,
1: right? Yeah, that's what that's what my research leads me to believe. I think they've rolled them all out on Blu-ray in 4x3, which is the aspect ratio for a television. And the fact that 16x9 prints of Star Trek exist kind of seems to me that at some point Paramount are going to roll these out on Blu-ray and make you buy them all over again. I wouldn't recommend buying them. I'd stick with the 4x3 ones, having watched a couple on TV. The remastering's lovely. I've not
0: if got a problem. If they're truly cropping the the top and the bottom, though, like you say, to make it look more letterboxed, then, yeah, I would I would not be inter- yeah. interested in that.
1: Yeah, well, I'd, my research saw that they've done it with a few things. Apparently, they've done it with syndicated Prince of space 1999. They've remastered all that for Blu-ray and recropped it to be 16x9. Hmm. And having seen it with Star Trek, I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah.
0: No, no I'm not interested. I didn't,
1: in want, I didn't want pan and scan versions of my films. I don't want letterbox version of my TV shows. Unless they've been shot recently, and I've actually been shot in a 16 by 9 aspect ratio.
0: I'm actually <clears> really surprised, looking back at it, that, um, that widescreen letterbox, you know, call it what you will... That it ever took off and became pretty much the the accepted standard way that we watch movies and things on TV these days because, again, you know I, I worked in video in its infancy, you know as far as you know videotape uh, rentals and sales, and I'm telling you I that's where I really started to develop my my strong. Uh, you know, feelings that the general public are just retarded because we would get these people constantly that would come in with, I'm trying to think of what the first really big, Ah, I should know this right off the top of my head. I can't believe I've forgotten what the first like really big release was that was in, was in widescreen on VHS. Damn, I cannot believe I've forgotten what it was, but it was a big movie that came out and there was not a pan and scan version. It was just widescreen. Right. And everybody and their grandmother bitched about it. And they would come in and it was always these freaking hillbillies that would go, Oh, I want to <laughs> complain about this movie. The top and the bottom's cut off of it. And I'm like, no dumbass, it's in widescreen. You know? Well what the hell is widescreen? So you'd sit and what I would do is I would draw them a picture and I'd draw a square. And I'd say, okay, this is your TV. And then I would draw a rectangle, you know, superimposed over the square, showing the sides out the sides of the square and show them that, look, you know, see, this is the movie. You know, I said, you you ever been to the movies? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know how the movie screen is a lot wider than your TV? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why there's these bars at the top and the bottom so that they could take that big old movie screen shrink it down to fit into your TV screen that isn't a rectangle. At least they weren't then. They were squares, you know, or mm. more or less a square. And I would say maybe 40% of the time completely didn't get it. You know, just were like, oh, I just don't, you know, well, what, what's the advantage? You know, just totally didn't understand, you know, what it was that anybody would, would – seeing that or or would want to watch a movie that way like you're getting the whole picture yeah but the top and bottom's cut off it's like (laughs) no it's not oh it would it would make you nuts it would make you absolutely crazy
1: you know Uh, well we had we had this big thing over here about that for ages and there's a couple of things one the bbc showed 2001 a space odyssey I was about nine or ten, so it must have been the late 70s, early 80s. And what they did with that was all the regular scenes they showed in 4 by 3 and then they went to widescreen for the special effects sequences. Oh, but God. what they did was, they matted stars over the black bars at the top and the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes it look like Kubrick's been incredibly clumsy with his special effects. Because these ridiculous matted star- skirt scars were on whenever there was a special effects scene. So that didn't work. So then there was these petitions to get widescreen movies on on video. And Fox Video released, all right, we'll test the waters. And they released five films. The Star Wars trilogy, as was, Die Hard, and the first Alien movie. It all came out as widescreen releases. Mm-hmm. And watching them on the widescreen video for the first time, it was revelatory to be able to see all of the attack on Hoff and to be able to see all of the cantina. And there's a shot in Alien. I don't know if you've seen Alien many times, but near the end there's a scene where Sigourney Weaver's hand reaches over the top of something. And the camera is focused on her fingers. And her four fingers cover the entire length of the widescreen frame. And then her head pops up behind her fingers. Her hand goes out of focus and her head comes into focus. And her eyes then cover the wide, the full length of the widescreen frame. And on TV, I don't think I ever saw Alien on TV. I only ever saw it on video. I don't remember the pan and scan version, but the panned one must have looked terrible.
0: Yeah, you would because think so. Yeah.
1: You would either see two of her fingers and then an eye. Or the other side, two of her fingers and an eye. If they left it in the middle, you would see like half of two eyes and a nose. (laughs) and i couldn't understand how people would think that the tv version was better when you couldn't but trying to explain it we had the same thing over here there's one of angela's uncles i tried to explain to him what widescreen was and eventually i just ended up butting my head against a wall because he didn't comprehend the idea that you were cutting things off the side no you're not cutting things off the
0: side Uh, i i really am amazed that it ever became the norm because you know I remember a a couple of things from that era was that for one, anybody I worked with, we would just, we, we eventually got so tired of trying to explain it and trying to enlighten the idiot masses that it finally came down to, we were just like, yeah, we hate that too. You know? (laughs) And, And you would just leave it at that and go, yeah, I don't know why they do that. We hate it too. You know, because you just, you just got sick of trying to explain it to people. And the other thing is, uh, I know that one of the companies – I want to say it was Blockbuster, but I could be wrong. But one of the companies I worked for had a standing policy that if anybody bitched about it, you just gave them their money back. So those two factors right there I would think would add up to, well, this is never going to catch on because it just didn't feel at the time that there were enough – film files out there that understood what it was and what you know what the effect was and and what the movie companies were going for with that that it would ever catch on and you know back then you know there there weren't TVs to support it so the only way to truly appreciate a letterboxed movie was you had to have one of those big ass um, wide, you know, remember how big and clunky they were when they first came along? They were like, just basically they were like a giant, like Legion of Superheroes computer in your house, you know? Yeah,
1: big view screen. Yeah, the, big the view screen. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. You know, that's what they were like for the longest time and they were faded and they looked like crap. But that was the only way that you could truly appreciate that format. You know, if you watched it on just your regular old TV, then it really didn't look you know i mean it looked good to people like us like like you say you know it was really neat to see like the full hoth scene again and stuff like that but we appreciated it on a different level but the average viewer all they knew is that suddenly their tv that was already you know greatly reduced from a movie screen is suddenly that much smaller on that tv screen and and they hated it and so yeah that that i would have to think that this has got to be an instance of the industry just sticking to their guns with something that they wanted to go to and eventually it just happened rather than this was something that came out and people embraced it and snapped it up and it became, you know, a, a big hit. I, I I would have to think it was the reverse because I, at least where where I worked and, and had exposure to it, people hated it, you know? Mm.
1: Well, you still go around to people's houses now who have the TV on the wrong setting and I just feel compelled to change it. <laughs> i can't let them watch it on the wrong setting angela just slaps my wrist now says you don't live here you don't live here it's not your team I'm, it's wrong right no. and doing the research on it as well james cameron when he did terminator 2 cheated he shot that film with <clears throat> a camera with lines on it to show him the four by three frame And to show a 235 to 1 frame for the cinema. And he shot that film with both aspect ratios in mind. Wow. And I only noticed it by accident. We were watching Terminator 2 on TV. Oh, ages ago now. Before widescreen happened. Just after DVD took off. So I had the DVD of Terminator 2. And I'm watching it going, this looks wrong. They're showing it in 4x3, but there's more There's more here. I don't remember the framing. So I dug out the DVD, and in the DVD, there's bits missing off the top and the bottom, but more at the sides. And I, I did some reading up on it, and there was a book, a Terminator 2 Judgment Day book, where it showed a behind-the-scenes shot, and you can see on his monitor that he's watching. He's got guidelines for both aspect ratios. So he shot Terminator 2 with a view to it being cropped for television. And I didn't know how I felt about that. I, I, there was a kind. There's a part of me that thought that was cheating.
0: I actually I think that's really cool because you know granted I don't know the man personally or anything but he seems to me like he's got to be the nicest control freak I've ever <laughs> seen in anything. Because did you see that uh, that recent documentary? I want to say it was a National Geo, but I could be wrong. But there was a recent documentary um, about the Titanic. Where it was basically Cameron going back to Titanic, the, the real Titanic. Yeah, and he was um, determined to figure out how the ship sank, you know, and how it actually, you know, once once it was actually uh, when it broke up at the surface, how it actually happened that it got from the surface to the bottom of the ocean the way it looks today, and and figuring out. Um forensically, how that all happened and, and took place and and reenacting it with film. And it was absolutely incredible to watch this guy at work because he was meticulous. and it was it was really eye-opening that, wow, this guy's really dedicated to his craft. I mean,, I mean, I've always enjoyed his films and everything, but it was this brought it to a whole new level that you realize, no, this guy's really obsessive when it comes to he wants the right shot, he wants it his way, and, and he's going to figure out how to do it. So actually, that doesn't surprise me that that he would have had that kind of forethought to think, you know, I'm not just shooting this film for a, a, a film for a theatrical presentation. I'm also fil- you know shooting this for television. You know, one day it's going to be on network TV, and I want control over how that's going to look. Yeah, I I can totally see Cameron being the guy that that op- operates that way. Yeah. See, I've never seen that he did it with anything else. Maybe I just never noticed. I don't know if
1: he did it with Aliens. I don't know if he did it with Titanic. But certainly, I saw it with my own eyes on Terminator 2 because I know that film quite well.
0: I would imagine so, he didn't have the uh, the. Um, whatever you know wherewithal resources whatever until t2 because until t2 he wasn't really you know he wasn't lucas level to where he could pretty much do what he wanted when when t2 was in production i mean he i don't think there's anything he could have asked that studio for that they wouldn't have tripped over themselves to give him you know because all they were seeing was dollar signs oh my god he's making a sequel to to T two, this is going to be like printing our own money, and for a time it was, you know,
1: it mm, was so hugely successful.
0: Yeah, have you seen Avatar yet? No, you know, I still haven't seen it. It's is. on my list. I need to. I'm not, um, I'm not eager or or anything, but I I plan to see it just you know because of course it, it's going to become a uh, a land. At, uh, at Animal Kingdom, so I feel kind of, you know, kind of obliged to uh, to check it out just so I know, you know, know about the story and everything, but... Uh, it shouldn't take 83 minutes before something happens. Yeah, you know, I don't know, I mean, I, 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 I'm reserving judgment, but I, I... The funny thing is, is that, uh, I mean, I honestly... I'm trying to remember what in the world show it was that it came up. But really, the first time it occurred to me that, uh, that Avatar was was anything at all was we were doing a show. I, I'm pretty sure this is in the episode, whatever episode it is. But Chris and I were doing a show, and he mentioned something about Avatar. And I, said, I, I was very dismissive. And he goes, dude, that's the biggest movie in the world. Yeah. It's I was it. like, what? I was like, what movie are you talking about? He said, Avatar, James Cameron. I'm like, no. He's like, yeah. He goes, look at it. Up. And sure enough, I looked it up. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted, because not only don't I really ever hear anybody talk about this movie, whenever I do hear them talk about it, it's usually with a lot of, like, "nah," you know, kind of comments. So
1: Yeah, well, that's what I thought about it. From the 83-minute mark, it's pretty good. But it's, it seems like he spends an awful lot of time establishing stuff that he could have established a lot more economically. And it looks lovely. There's no denying it. it looks lovely. I think the reason it's the most commercially successful movie is that it was the first to do 3D properly, wasn't it? And it was marketed that way. It's If you're going to see a 3D movie... It's got to be Avatar. It wasn't retrofitted. It wasn't an afterthought. Cameron had put a lot of thought into how to use 3D cameras and how to set the shots up properly so you got the proper 3D experience. And I would imagine if you saw it at the cinema, then it was probably a lot more spectacular than me watching at home on my 35-inch widescreen TV. But even with that, I still can't see that in the cinema I wouldn't have been sat there going, are you going to get on with it at some point?
0: That that's the part I don't understand is how does how does a movie that you know most of the comments I've ever heard about it come down to nah it was all right how does that get to be the biggest movie I mean you would think by its very definition it would have to be Star Wars esque it would have to be bigger better bolder than you know, all these other movies, you know, like Titanic and Avengers and The Empire Strikes Back and all these huge, huge, huge movies. And again, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm not hearing that that's the case. So I, I, I'm i completely baffled by that. You know, how does how did that happen? I mean, did they factor the extra cost of 3D into the fact that this is the biggest grossing movie. Because if they didn't, then that seems like kind of a cheat.
1: Uh, I think they just they just count box office receipts, don't they? Uh,
0: that's what I think. And you know, I, that, those kind of those kind of 3D li-
1: tickets are more expensive, aren't they?
0: Right, because those kind of uh, those kind of figures always drive me a little bit crazy because. If all you're looking at is dollars, you know, each time that record gets shattered, then, you know, we're going to get to a point, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now that some movie that comes out and bombs made more money than the Empire Strikes Back did, you know, just by the nature of inflation. Mm. You've got to adjust these things on that inflationary scale. And when you do that, I don't think anything has ever topped the Gone with the Wind, has it?
1: No, Gone with the Wind is still the highest grossing film gr- adjusted for inflation.
0: Right, yeah, and that, that's what bugs me about that scale because there's a lot of movies that have now bumped movies like, say, Return of the Jedi off that top ten list that they keep updating every time there's a new blockbuster that I don't think, again, adjusted for inflation, have, have ever – anything's come near them. You know, movies like, say, Gone with the Wind, Snow White yeah. and the Seven Dwarves, the original Star Wars, all those movies, I'm pretty sure, are still on that list when adjusted for inflation.
1: Yeah, I, it should go off bums on seats. How many people saw this film?
0: That's yeah, yeah, that would be yeah, that would actually be the best way to, if there's you know, an accurate way to track that.
1: Yeah, because you don't know how many people go and see things twice. I mean, you do start getting ridiculous things like the Amazing Spider-Man. The other day, I saw something. It's had the biggest Tuesday opening ever, and I'm sat there going, "Surely that's not a
0: large field." <laughs>
1: biggest Tuesday opening.
0: Something like that sounds like they're they're trying to play it up to me.
1: But I guess. yeah, well, I, I I don't think it's going to do as well as the Avengers.
0: No, no, I I would be I would be amazed if it comes anywhere near the Avengers. But I don't know. I mean, Spider-Man is hugely popular. So I mean, I'm sure the movie will do really well. It evidently it's done well enough that they've already greenlit a, a full trilogy, so you know. They I don't think they do those sorts of things on faith, you know. So no. it, something has happened to to make that, you know. But yeah, I don't. I don't expect any movie from here on out that features a single superhero is going to come anywhere near the Avengers. I, I think that the the field has completely changed. I, I think it's a whole new ball game when it comes to comic book movies, particularly superhero comic book movies. I, I think the only thing that could potentially um, rival the Avengers, when it when it would come to a single superhero movie, is a Superman movie that would be done, you know, faithfully and and very much in the spirit of, uh, you know, of the original Superman the movie. And I'm not talking like it's picking up where it left. I'm not talking like Superman Returns type of thing. I'm just talking about you know you're taking that character and you're you're adapting the true essence of Superman into a great comic book movie. Uh, I don't have any faith that that's what we're getting with Man of Steel. I think so, yeah. Man of Steel is is basically, hey, let's uh, you know that Dark Knight thing that we did so well with, uh, let, let's let's put the red cape on that Batman and uh, and make that a Superman movie. I think that's what that is.
1: See, I don't know enough about Man of Steel to say anything. I've seen a few pictures. I still don't like the costume, but I don't like the costume in the comics. The new 52 Superman costume hasn't grown on me. And it is isn't just a loss of the trunks. I don't like that he's armoured. I don't like that he's got knee pads. I don't like that he's got like jigsaw outlines all over him. I don't like that the cape just disappears into his salt cellars at the top of his neck. I don't like anything about it. I don't mind. I don't like the collar. I mean, a lots of people have bitched at me about the collars. What's wrong with the collars? I just don't like it on Superman. I think it looks silly. I don't like that he's got women's things on his cuffs you know those diagonal triangular things that come down over the top of your hand right that was a woman's fashion for a while the clothes would have those on i don't like that i I just don't like that suit it's not grown on me right so i don't see it translating to live action and me liking it granted they're not going to be worried too much at night that i don't like it right i don't don't think that's going to cause them to lose any sleep
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I want to. I want to be. Uh, you know, I want to give it a fair shake, but I, it's, there's just been there's been enough out there already about it. it. Basically, it has so many strikes against it right out of the gate that it's got quite the uphill battle with uh, with getting me to personally uh, overcome my my pre prejudices about it. So, well, I don't know. Right. We'll see.
1: I don't know anything about it. I don't know what the plot is. I know General Zod's in it. That's about all. Which, yeah. that made me go, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did exactly the same thing. i like, so you've got all these wonderful bad guys or you, maybe you could promote somebody from the comics and give them a power boost but you're just going to do General Zod again.
0: Yep. Why? Because that's what uh, made money the last time around.
1: Yeah, and, you know. We'll see. It may surprise us by being a sleeper.
0: I think it's the same scenario, you know, with uh, with why Khan is going to be the bad guy in the next Star Trek movie. You know, it's I thought they debunked that. I thought they said that was bollocks. Oh, have they? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't exactly been,
1: been because keeping up. So. I, I was the same as you. I, I, you know what I think about the 2009 Star Trek film. Uh, I think it's Star Trek with with a lobotomy, basically. Mhm. Um. And I wasn't hearing many positive things about the second one. The only thing that would get me to watch the second one at the cinema was I liked the cast. I thought the cast did a good job. And Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor, so he was cast. And you're like, oh, okay. And then I was thinking, but the minute I hear he's playing Khan, I'm not in. Because you've got the whole point of Star Trek 09 was they didn't want to be tied to continuity they didn't want to do a standard prequel because they didn't want people to be able to go and say well this doesn't tie in with what happened in charlie x and all that going. Mean, so all right fine i'll buy that maybe the second one will be better the minute they say they're going to be do, doing Kern, that negates the reason for doing the, the 09 one the way they did You've got the entire universe to play with at this point. You can do whatever story you want to do. Why retread over old ground then? You've got the keys to the kingdom here. You've got the chance to do what you want. Tell whatever story you want to tell. Do it like the original. Take a little bit of allegory, a little bit of subtext, tell a kick-ass science fiction tale that hasn't been done before. Why remake Space Seed? Why remake Wrath of Khan? And you can't remake the Wrath of Khan. The whole reason Khan worked so well was it was a sequel to a 15-year-old TV episode. So you've got both... Box is tick though. You're appealing to your fan base because they remember the 15-year-old TV episode and they go, ooh, Khan's back. But at the same time, Khan does not rely on you having
0: seen Space Seed. Right, because I didn't remember other, it when I saw it. Yeah, you're right. And I
1: watched it with my granddad. My granddad had very little interest in watching TV that I liked. Together, we bonded over the Clint Eastwood movies. That was the thing I watched my granddad. It was my nan who watched science fiction with me because my nan loved Star Trek. She loved Star Wars. She'd watch all of that stuff with me. But he sat and watched Star Trek Two with me one night when it was on TV because he's ex Navy. He was in the military for a bit uh, on aircraft carriers, fixing airplanes. And Star Trek Two is a naval film. Mm-hmm. It's a submarine movie. That's what it is. He's never seen Space Seed. He doesn't give a rat's ass who Khan is. He watched that film for two hours with me and said, it was good, that. Like, he was shocked that he'd enjoyed it. <laughs> That's who they should be making the movie for, then. They should be making it for people to be able to go and discover what we saw in Star Trek 20, 30 years ago when we discovered it. Don't just remake old episodes. There's no point. I don't mind them doing it as the comics... I have no problem with doing it as a comic book. You're not paying seven quid at ten quid to go and watch it at the cinema. Your comics are going to appeal to your fan base audience, your niche audience. The film should be a big budget science fiction movie with something to say, which I think the first one didn't. It didn't have any subtext. It had no allegorical content whatsoever. It wasn't one of those things you could go, oh, actually, they're talking about Vietnam. But if you ignore that they're talking about Vietnam, this is actually still a fun science fiction adventure story. It didn't even do that. So the minute they say Khan's in it, I'm out. And I'm not interested in seeing it till it's on video for free.
0: No, I agree with you completely. Because as soon as they made that announcement, I think I immediately went to Facebook and said, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah,
1: I did the same thing. Yeah. When I saw the cast casting of Cumberbatch, I was like, oh, well, it may actually be quite good then. But I thought that they'd actually debunked it and said that he's not on it. He's not in it. We're not doing Kern. Now, they could be playing the, oh, they've discovered what we're doing. Let's deny it game. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we can take them at the word that they're not going to do that.
0: I still maintain that the entire reason that they did this, whether you know, because I would like to think, like you said, that you know they, they've done this. Now they have a whole universe to play with. They can go off. They can do original stories and that sort of thing. I, I, I you know, I, I just I never saw it that way. It, it would be nice if that was the case. Hollywood just doesn't work that way. I mean, why have to work to come up with something new when you can just rehash something old that made money the first time around? So I, I think that's honestly what they're, you know, despite all these hoops that they've gone through to give us a clean slate, I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I think we we are going to get largely rehashed material, because I think at the end of the day, the entire purpose for doing this was to take this franchise from us, you know, the the, the nerdy kids that love Star Trek the way it was. And present it to the hipsters. And, you know, <laughs> more power to them. It worked. Because I, yeah. I can't tell you the, the number of times that I, I just – I got sick in the pit of my stomach when I would read these comments. When, when Trek 09 was new you know, new in the theaters and getting all the, the critical acclaim, constantly saw these posts on the internet going, thank God Star Trek doesn't suck anymore you know from people who never watched an episode of of any of the shows, you know, any of the series or incarnations of it who just had this this you know preformed idea that it was just something <laughs> that they weren't going to like that they couldn't get into because it was nerdy and it was geeky and all that well now it was hip and cool because it has you know the 90210 actors in it and I'm like really you <laughs> know mm. and it, it what what pained me more was You know, serious Star Trek fans that that seem to encourage that kind of thing. I mean, you know, if you honestly love the movie, then God bless you and more power to you. But uh, I just I it wasn't for me. It wasn't Star Trek the way I see Star Trek.
1: No. I mean, I was the same as you. I, was, I came out and I thought it was all right. Me and Michael went watching it. And then the more you thought about it, the more you, you start thinking, well, that didn't actually make any sense. And that bit there didn't work. And what the hell's all that about? And, but like you, more and more people are coming out and saying it was really good. It was really good. And then I read Anne Crispin. Anne Crispin on her blog wrote something along the lines of, did you people watch a different film to me? Because I thought it was awful. Mm -hmm. and then she went on to detail her reasons why she thought it was awful and I'm just sat there reading it going yep, yep, yep thank you very much Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because I mean my problem with it as well isn't just the rebooting although this is going to come across as Crisis on Infinite Earth bitching it's that they've ruined the whole tapestry whatever you think of the sequel series or the prequel series or whatever it created this whole thing that you could follow and get into. And there was a continuity there. And the only time it, it gets bogged down by, as you said, the nerdy kids is when they become more interested in the continuity than the stories they're telling. And I think that was the failing of some of the later shows. They were more interested in the continuity than telling good stories. There's nothing wrong with doing a prequel to Star Trek. Just don't piss all over the other shows in the process. Those were the problems I had with Enterprise. It was like, well, actually, Kirk wasn't the first person to time travel. Archer did it first. And we didn't find out about Ponfar from Spock. No, no, no. We found out from T'Pol. And it was just like, are you just trying to piss over everything that the original did just because you guys didn't produce it? And it's not that the idea was bad. I would love them to have done a prequel with Christopher Pike or Robert April. Right. But they weren't going to do that because Berman wouldn't have made a lot of money. He would have had to pay other people. Paul was originally Topow. And they found out they would have to pay Ted Sturgeon's estate some money. And they said, no, we'll change the name. Hmm. And that, to me, is not creativity leading the way and it is not paying due respect to what was gone before and the people that have worked on this property that have made you millionaires before you were alive. That's, oh, well, how can I add a new annex to my house? And that was my problem with some of the, the later series. But the whole tapestry of it is gone now. So without, you've not got The Next Generation anymore. You've not got Deep Space Nine anymore. You've not got any of it. Because they've essentially started it from scratch. So it is just like what's happened with the new fifty-two. Continuity is not a hindrance unless you let it be a hindrance.
0: I'll you tell you that's one of the things that I, I do like though is that you know they they may have done this reboot and everything, and that might be where the parent company is is, you know, putting all their chips at the moment. But you can tell that that there is a sizable portion of fandom that does feel the way that we do because the original timeline still goes. You know, there's still you know every month there's still a new Star Trek book that takes place in you know in the original universe and everything. So it's not dead. I don't think that fans will let it just you know die just because of this decision that the studio made to, to reboot the whole thing. You know, I, it may have been different, you know, if the the rebooted thing had had fully embraced everybody, you know, and everybody was on board with it. But it, I just I think it it's not. I think it's been a very decisive move or divisive. I mean, divisive move. You know, you you've got people that are on board, and you've got a lot of them that you know like us that are just like, nah, this just isn't my Star Trek. So, you know, in in that aspect, I kind of like it. You know, it, there, there's a certain aspect of that that I, I wish that uh, you know that the comic companies would adapt. You know, if, if you're going to you know reboot or tinker with you know your your big classic characters, then you know throw a bone to the old fanboys, give them something that they can still latch onto, rather than just going, well, you know, you can get on board or you can go away. You know, Star See, Trek I- hasn't hasn't completely done that, not yet, anyway
1: you can still go and read the novels if you want to know what's going on with the titan crew
0: right exactly because i
1: would have liked that i would have liked a new tv show with riker Mm -hmm. as captain but i thought that as long ago as voyager if you were going to do voyager which essentially was a next generation remake essentially why did they not just get to the end of next generation which was still popular the ratings were still high it was not tanking it was still getting higher ratings than DS9, which was on concurrently. Why did you not get to the end of season seven and go, right, contract negotiation time? Who wants to stay, who wants to leave? And if Patrick Stewart's had enough, you promote Riker. And you just do what ER did. ER ran for fifteen years doing this. You mm-hmm. introduce new characters. Yep. And if you're smart about it, you introduce those new characters why the old characters are still around. And that way your audience has got used to them before the old characters disappear. So towards the end of Season 7, you establish that, I don't know, Picard's going to go off or whatever, and you bring in new security officers for Worf to train up because he's going to be promoted to first officer. And do it like that, and you could keep the show going at infinitum at that rate.
0: I because think they just didn't have enough prescience to... Well, for one thing, I don't think that... I think they always lived in denial that DS9 wasn't doing very well. You know, you can debate the merits of the show all you want to. DS9 never did well in the ratings. It did well enough that it, it existed, but a lot of that was due to the fact that for a time it was the only Star Trek there was. And it had its fans. I, I'm just saying that it was never, you know, TNG. It, it yes. just it never replaced that show, which is what it was sort of intended to do. And then, they, of course, they had Voyager waiting in the wings. But I think... You know, if they could rethink the whole thing, that your scenario is definitely the way that they should have gone. I just don't th- think that they had the prescience to see that at the time.
1: Well, there was also the money thing. See, I think Deep Space Nine is a brilliant science fiction television show. I think it's sometimes lacking in being good Star Trek, which are two completely different things sometimes. Right. Um, the thing with The Next Generation was the deals that they signed with it were not very lucrative for Paramount. To, mm. Just to get the show on the air, they had to swallow an awful lot of the production costs, which is why the show went into syndication in its third season, which was unprecedented at the time. A lot of shows do it now, don't they? Go into syndication before they've actually finished. Right. The next generation was unprecedented in doing that. And they also swallowed a lot of the costs by saying to the syndicated TV stations that were showing Star Trek, uh, if the show flops after a year, you can have these new 26 episodes to add into the Star Trek rerun schedule for free. Right. And so that deal continued throughout the run of the Next Generation. So it just wasn't lucrative for Paramount to continue the Next Generation. It was all it was a money decision. Bottom line. Right. Which is a shame because if the I think I do think if they'd done that I think Next Generation would easily have ran another seven years just to introduce new new cast members. You want a sweep sweep? You bring Patrick Stewart back for a two-part episode? I'm sure he wouldn't have been averse to that because as far from my reading, it's him, Brent Spiner, Gates McFadden who'd had enough and wanted to quit, and it was Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis and Michael Dorn who were happy to carry on, and LeVar Burton was on the fence.
0: I think that there were, there were enough in that crew, in the TNG crew, you know, cast rather, that had the foresight to see that they didn't want to make the same mistakes that have been made on many a popular TV show in the past. Whereas they start looking, you know, they, 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 they get that, you know, is the grass greener thought in their head and they start looking at other projects. And so they leave, you know, what it is that that put them on the map in the first place and then you never hear from them again. Yeah, and that happened with with TNG. I mean, other than uh, the, the theatrical Stewart. films that they happen you know, that they had, and, and Patrick Stewart, what have those guys done since Star Trek? Really, nothing. I mean, you had uh, Brent Spiner in a couple cameos in some you know theatrical movies like Independence Day or what, but I mean, none in of them threshold. reached. Yeah, he was
1: in Threshold, wasn't he?
0: Uh, but I, I, yeah. But I mean, not not any sort of like level of success. You know, they didn't no. break out of Star War or Star Trek in, into some, you know, some stardom. You know what I mean? No. Star Trek was their stardom.
1: Yeah. Well, Jonathan Frakes, the things I do like about him is he is remarkably candid and honest in his interviews, and he has said he's he's incredibly grateful for the fact that he had the intelligence and foresight to go into directing. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, that has kept him working. And a lot of the time, you'll see his name all over the place. Just last season, he directed episodes of Castle, he directed episodes of Leverage, he directed episodes of Burn Notice. So he's still working, but he's working in his secondary career.
0: Because
1: nice. by his own admission, he says Star Trek killed his acting career. He doesn't. He's not bitter about it, but it's a fact. And if he hadn't gone into doing directing, he doesn't know how he'd be paying the bills now other than going to conventions. And he had the brains to look at what happened to Koenig and Takai and go, right, I don't want that to happen to me. And he's always been the one who said, I'll quite happily suit up again for another TV show.
0: Because he's
1: got the intelligence, like you say, to realize this was his bite of the cherry.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that he's one of my, possibly my favorite, but definitely one of my favorite um, Star Trek uh, personalities ever because of that because he realizes who put him there what kept him there and and what made him what he is you know Mm -hmm. and i i get incredibly upset with these actors nimoy is a perfect example of this that want to bite the hand that feeds them that sort of thinking and mentality really pisses me off because it's like look dude i hate to be the one to break this to you but you're not shit without me I mean, what did Nimoy ever do? Zombies of the stratosphere. I mean, come on, <laughs> seriously? You know, yeah. I mean, and and you're going to bitch about the fact that you're Spock. Shut up. Put on your ears. Deliver your stupid illogical lines, and be happy that you had a life thanks mm. to me. You know?
1: Well, like of the lot of them, I think the only one who's had a career is Patrick Stewart and William Shatner. Outside of Star Trek, and Shatner has, has played his Star Trek image. Into the other stuff that he's done,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: he has at least done enough other stuff of merit to justify that occasionally he will send himself up. He was he, he hosted a I Got News for You" over here a couple of weeks ago, and he was fantastic. He's got a much slyer wit about himself than he seems to let loose because it's I don't I, I don't know if you have an equivalent of "I Got News for You" on American television. Mm-hmm. It's a satirical. It's a satirical news quiz show. And you have two opposing teams with two team captains and two guests. And every week it's a different host. And it basically takes the mick out of this week's headlines, be the political or stupid or whatever. But Shatner was sublime on it. He was absolutely fantastic. He took the mick out of himself. He took the mick out of the co-hosts, who I presume he'd never met before. But he did an exceptionally good job of playing along with them. And thankfully, there were very few Star Trek gags. He came in through the doors at the back and he went, shh, shh and that was pretty much it. They hmm. uh, stayed away from the predictable jokes and he was really good in it. And it's then you can go like, well, I can see why he's had a career and maybe Walter Koenig hasn't. Right. Because I don't know about you, but I was never turning into Star Trek to see Chekhov.
0: Right, well, that's again, you know I'm probably beating a dead horse at this time, you know at this point saying this, but that's one of the the things that annoys me that I've been very vocal about with the with the o nine Star trek is why do you feel this need to you know have i I can understand wanting. You know Kirk and Spock and McCoy. You know that—that's the trinity in in the Star Trek. You know that's the heart of Star Trek in the original series. You know the rest of them. You know the seven dwarves not necessary. <laughs> yeah, because, well, let's see, go on. No, I'm I'm just I think we've we've amply demonstrated by now on on our Star Trek Monthly Monday show that it's a fantasy idea that they were ever there. You know that that these seven were the crew it's just yeah. not true
1: no if you go back and look at the first 13 shows there is more of an ensemble feel to them than there is in subsequent shows but there is a reason that the three that broke out broke out it's, right. it's evident from watching the show mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i think one of the mistakes starter at the motion picture made and you and i both love the motion picture I think that it's aged incredibly well. I think it's a very good science fiction film as well as a good Star Trek film, which, as we've already talked about, the two don't necessarily go together. But one of the mistakes that movie made was having the other guys in it. I would have been just as happy with Star Trek The Motion Picture if Kirk had took command of the Enterprise and he wanted Spock and McCoy. He just wanted them as part of the crew. Mm -hmm. But the rest of them should have been all new crew. Because in a military situation it doesn't make sense that they were all still there. maybe
0: Scott it, it never did well I was just gonna say if, if there's if there is one exception or, or one that I think that you would have trouble get, uh, you know getting rid of or, or not including it would be Scotty because I, I think he he was of a level almost comparable to Kirk Spock and McCoy because he you know of course you know everybody remembers the line that was never a line you know Be me up Scotty. Mm you know so i mean people know of him they they kind of expect that he's down there you know in the bowels of the ship keep keeping things running the rest of them i, I again i think the series itself very amply demonstrates that they're interchangeable there's yeah. a lot of episodes without Chekhov in it. There's a lot of episodes without Sulu. There's a lot of episodes without Uhura. and there are a lot of episodes with other people in those stations that I never hear anybody going, "Hey, wait a minute, why wasn't ensign so and so in the in the <laughs> you know in the film franchise? He was in like 13 out of the 78 episodes, you know that sort of thing." But people yeah. focus on that core seven, and it just it drives me a little bit nuts because. They're gonna find themselves in the same predicament with the new movie franchise that they were in the original. Is after about three movies, you're going, Jesus, do these guys never get promoted? Yeah. Well, I like the motion picture does have a good in story reason
1: for Scotty being there. He's been in charge of the refit. Right. So, all right, leave him. But Sulu's off got his own command. He's not hung around for three years while they refitted the Enterprise. Uhura's off doing something else. Chekhov's doing something else. And if they'd done that. Can you imagine how much more satisfying Trek 2 would have been when it's Chekhov on The Reliant? Mm-hmm. He wasn't in the motion picture, but he's here because this right. is what he was off doing. And Absolutely. Trek 6 how much cooler would Star Trek 6 have been if Takai hadn't been in the previous five films? Yep. And he Absolutely. shows up, Commander of here in 6, and you're like, yes. And it would have been a, it's really nice to see him again, as opposed to, why are we shoehorning these guys in? Bring Kirk and Spock back.
0: The only thing I can think of, and of course, this is just totally off the top of my head, and, and I could be completely wrong about this, but I'm wondering if it became this Core 7 through the convention circuit. If maybe that's how that idea got out there, that these were the 7 that you had to have to make a Star Trek movie. Yeah. I, I just don't see how that idea formed any you know, way anyway else, because they... They just really weren't a core at all. Yeah, well, that
1: holds water, because I've never been to a Star Trek convention, but if you look at the the reading on the early ones in the 70s, you've got pictures of George Takei and Jimmy Doohan hanging out with the fans, right. like in a big green room. There was no barriers or security or anything. So it does hold water, because Shatner was off working, so he didn't go to stuff like that. Right. And then obviously, they built up the little loyal fan clubs,
0: right? I mean, it was uh, it was clearly the fans that got the ball rolling to give us, you know, to to get Star Trek back again. Whether it was going to be another TV show or whether it was going to be a, a motion picture, which eventually happened, it was that fan movement that made that sort of thing happen. You know, with getting the first space shuttle named Enterprise and things like that. And I remember seeing pictures of these things and, you know, that it would be on the news or what. And typically you would see, you know, Doohan and Takai and Koenig and uh, and Nichols at these things. So I'm thinking that maybe it's just by seeing them, you know, at conventions and uh, in the news briefs and things like this, that it became part of the public consciousness that that this is Star Trek. The, this is the ensemble cast of Star Trek, and and so eventually, when they got serious about bringing it back, that it became this idea. Well, well, you've got to have these guys. This is these are the people that people. That's all I can think of because I I just I refuse to believe that it's an a, a natural outgrowth of the series because it's just not true. As a matter of fact, I, I'd have to check myself for facts on this, but I'm almost positive that those core seven are not in the final episode together. Like, uh, what is it? Turnabout Intruder. intruder? I don't think they're all in now. I don't think Uhura's
1: in it. And maybe Chekhov. Sulu and Scotty are, because they're at the Mm court-martial with Janice Lester. And again, this is just off the top of my head. I don't remember Uhura or Chekhov. Chekhov may be there. I don't remember Uhura being there. But the penultimate episode, All our Yesterdays, only has Kirk Spock and McCoy in it mm-hmm. and I think there's a voice appearance by Scotty when he says Kirk to Enterprise beam us up but because the, there are no scenes on the Enterprise in that episode right so there, there is an entire episode though that is just the three of them Bread and Circuses is another one that is mainly just the three of them I'm well, trying you know, to think also
0: there was uh, oh there's some <laughs>
1: at this point that we received a totally unexpected and unsolicited Skype call which reset Scott's Skype recorder and threatened to dump our recording. Scott spent the better part of the next hour in a frothing rage, sweating out the compression process whilst I tried to convince my wife that wearing a Wonder Woman outfit was a perfectly acceptable way to spend our Sunday night, especially if she has the lasso. Ah, the lasso. Anyway, uh, the lesson here is to never cold call Scott out of the blue on Skype. Horry will come to your house and shoot you in the face with a bazooka. We regret that this episode has a rather abrupt ending, but we hope you enjoyed this very special episode of Two True Friends. <laughs>